Last time in Matthew, we uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. <clears throat> what were some things that, uh, as you think back upon that teaching and this passage, what are some things that stood out to you? Anyone's allowed to answer. Uh, what are some things maybe you learned for the first time? Find because Jesus is saying, "My brethren," here in verse four, and so we we define who Jesus' brethren were using scripture to define scripture. Does the scripture ever define lost sinners as Jesus' brethren? The scriptures ever say that when you what you do to the lost, you do to Jesus. No. We know what you do to the body of Christ, you do to Jesus because He is the head of the body. You're part of Him. Anything else? About this issue of, of hell being everlasting. We've talked to the SDAs about this recently. Some of the people who I know who are beginning to lean in that direction too. And uh, so this is going to be crucial to study. Uh, very hard. We're not deceived by that as well. So we understand. So I would encourage you, you know, even though we've already talked to the SDRs, we may not talk to them again today, I don't know. Uh, I would encourage you not to stop studying this, to keep studying this out. Compare yourself in case other people you know decide to start believing that as well. And their influence upon your life doesn't sway you to, to believe what they think. All right, so let's let's start in Matthew. Anyone else want to say anything else? <clears throat> okay, let's start in verse 1 and read through verse 16. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, they said to the disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, <coughs> and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. <coughs> but they said to him, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrance oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? 
for she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be, will be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Okay, so going back to verse 1, uh, we're going to, well, we'll get to that here in a second. But what came to pass when Jesus said his, had finished all these sayings, said to the disciples, after two days is the Passover. Now, up to this point in time, Jesus had always avoided the plots of his enemies. He'd always escaped or tried to get away or avoided them to some degree. Didn't go down to the festival until it was the right time. Uh, he was always avoiding them. But now his time had come, and he was not going to avoid them this time. He was not going to avoid them. And so that is Jesus' part in his own crucifixion, laying down his life. That's part of it anyway. I mean, of course, there are other things he didn't do that he could have done, calling on legions of angels. Um, but now he was not going to avoid it any longer. And why is that? Well, you know, Romans 5, 6, 8 talks about that at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So he's never too early, never late. He's always right on time. And what is about to happen in two days? The Passover. And what was the point of the Passover in the first place? The point of the Passover in the first place was the point to Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. And let's look at the original institution of this. Where this is originally said to the people. And you can read the whole passage for yourself later on, but I just want to point out a few things here that obviously uh, point to Jesus and his shed blood. Exodus chapter 12. And really you can read the whole, the whole chapter that talks about this. Uh, verse 5. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, and male of the first year, I mean, take, it, take it from the sheep or from the goat. So we know that Jesus um, was without blemish morally. These sheep or goats were without blemish physically. Not morally, because they're not moral beings. But Jesus without blemish morally. Verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. So the lintel is the horizontal beam and the posts are the vertical beams. And they put it on there, and we see why here in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, being in the house would be symbolic of being in Christ and having the blood upon the doorposts of the house and the lintel of the house, the horizontal beams of the house, is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from our sins. And then the wrath of God doesn't strike us like we deserve to be stricken for our sins, but it passes over us. And so that's... So Jesus was going to die on the Passover because it was his time. His time had come. 
When the chief priests, the scribes, and elders of the people, that's basically all the leadership of Israel, and we see how wicked they are, assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Now the palace there, I'm not sure why the New King James translator chose to translate it as palace here, because every other place is translated, is translated as courtyard. And that's really what it means. It means um, uh, an enclosed in space that is open. So an enclosed in space that is open. You, you picture that, you picture a courtyard. Like maybe a courtyard at a hospital where it has all walls around it, but the ceiling, there's no ceiling over top of it. And so it was a meeting place where the leadership of Israel would meet, and oftentimes they'd meet there to judge people. But they met at the the courtyard, it's the Greek word ole, of the high priest, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Now you notice here they want to take him by trickery, because Jesus Christ is blameless. There's no other way they could take him, because he was blameless. So ask yourself this question, friends. If the time comes where people want to arrest us, and persecute us, and kill us, can they take you in another way? Or would they have to take you by trickery as well? Are you blameless before God? Are you blameless before people? To the point where they would have to take you by trickery as well? And we'll see later on, they have to try to conjure up witnesses against him. False witnesses against him. And uh, even when they tried to do that, their w- the false witnesses could not collaborate good enough to make their stories match up, so even they didn't care. It didn't matter. They couldn't find a true witness against him. They had to take him by trickery. Verse 5. We see a little bit of the sovereignty of God in this, this verse. But they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people. So what was their plan? Was their plan, these wicked men, was it their plan to take him during the Passover feast? No, they planned to take him at a different time. But we know the Passover is symbolic of Christ, so he has to die during the Passover. So even though they were planning this wickedness in their hearts to take him by trickery at a different time after the feast, because imagine all these people from all around the world who are Jewish people, are coming to Israel, are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Okay? And they want to cause as little uproar as possible, as little problem as possible, so they can just, like the God never existed, just do it with them very quietly, so no one even knew he existed. Okay? But uh, obviously that wasn't God's plan. And so God thwarted their plan. But their timing, um, they were being cowardly, and they were being sinful, in their planning. And now we're going to start from verses 6 to verse 13. We've already read it through in Matthew. I'm going to read it through uh, three other accounts of a similar situation. And we're going to put our thinking caps on this morning. And we're going to uh, be interpreters of the Bible uh, and try to harmonize the scriptures here. Because these are things you should be able to do on your own anyway. As you read the scriptures, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find the same accounts, different details of different accounts. We've done this before, so it should be coming pretty normal to you. And I want to see, as you read through the account in Mark 14, starting in verse 3, if you find any new details, any added things, anything you see that might be different, let's see if you can you can pick it out here. And once you, if I, as I read through I want you just to stop me. If you hear anything different. Okay? 
And being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, of spikenard. Spikenard. Spikenard is there. Spikenard is is an oil derived from the root of an Indian plant. Very expensive oil. And it was uh, sold in alabaster flasks. And alabaster is a form of marble, so a very important flask as well. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, Three hundred denarii. Now, denarii is is a common man's uh, one day's worth of labor. So let's let's take that and put it in today's language. Let's take minimum wage. Let's just say it's eight dollars an hour to make it easy. Okay, eight dollars an hour times eight hours in one day. That's a normal work day. Sixty four dollars a day. Okay, so that would be equal to one to one denarii. Okay, in this this scenario. So multiply $64 times 300, and you have $19,200. So in today's language, this spikenard oil would have been worth $19,200. Now imagine this this woman, uh, who we don't know her name, at least not yet, She let's say she was a common laborer. 19, I mean, think about someone who makes that much money in one year. How long would it take them to save up that amount of money to buy a flask of oil? Probably. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you'd be, it'd be very frugal to be able to save 10% of your income making that much money per year. After providing for your family, paying for rent or mortgage, paying for you know, all the things you pay for a month, you, it, it'd be very frugal to be able to save that much. So... If this woman, let's say this woman is 30 years old, it would have taken her from when she was 20 to when she was 30 to save for this one flask of oil. And what does she do with it? She pours it on Jesus' head. It's all gone. And not only that, one, one thing that you may have missed in verse 3, she broke the flask too. So that marble flask, which was worth a lot of money itself, was broken as well. In verse 4, one, one other detail I'd point out here. In Matthew it says the disciples were indignant. This says some were indignant. And so I would suppose that all the disciples were indignant, but some of them were indignant. Okay, go to Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> now, as we go through these different accounts, uh, sometimes they're similar accounts, but they're not the same account. So you have to use your mind to look at the context of the account and look at the language to see if it's talking about uh, the same thing. Chapter 7, and verse, starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Remember, stop me if you see anything different. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, 
Well, it doesn't say he's a Pharisee. But here we have a, a new... De- if it's the same story, we have a new detail. Now we have someone being talked about as a Pharisee. Okay? Now that, but in verse 37, the woman is called a sinner. Okay? Which is usually um, said for those who are like tax collectors, harlots. It's not used for just any old person. Okay? Um, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Seems pretty different to me. So you see, look at the chronology here of verse 38. She began to wash his feet with her tears. So first she was crying over his, his feet enough that there was enough water coming out of her eyes to wash his feet. And, and then she began to wa- wipe them with her hair, which you know is considered the glory of women. You know, wipes them. You know, women like to take like to take, take care of their hair and, and keep it clean and keep it brushed or maybe braided or whatever it may be. And she's wiping his feet, which were, have gone through the city. And we'll see here in a minute. He didn't get his feet washed when he got into that, that that house. So you got dirt and dust and maybe animal waste, maybe. But wiped them with the hair of her head, and then she kissed his feet and anointed him with the fra- with the fragrant oil. So you see the chronology there of the way she, way she cleaned his feet and then anointed him with oil. That's right. Now, now we we could, I mean, going back and forth and trying to harmonize, if this was the same story, you still wouldn't have a problem yet because she could have anointed his head first and then anointed his feet. Okay, so we still don't have a problem just yet. We do have added details here, so we, we still don't have a problem just yet, I don't think, with these being the same story. There just could be added details there. Maybe Simon the leper is a Pharisee. Maybe the woman was a sinner. Maybe she really did, uh, after she poured it on his head, maybe then she went to his feet, for all we know. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. But they had nothing with which to repay. He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her hair, with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I, I, the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom life, to whom little is given, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him, with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, obviously, all that is new. Okay, That's all new. Uh, but that, that could very easily be added to the situation we've already talked about as more details. But I told you before, you have to make sure you're reading the context, too. So let's read the first verse of chapter 8. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. 
that's much earlier on. That's much early on. This this situation in Luke 7 is much earlier on in Jesus' ministry because that's what he did earlier on in his ministry. Okay, so we see, I mean, it's very similar. A lot of similar details, and we could make it as added details to Matthew 26, but we see that it's it's much earlier on. And then you see right next, in verse 4 of Matthew 8, he taught on the parable of the sower, which is much early on in his ministry as well. Okay, all right, let's go to uh, John chapter 12. Exactly. Actually, exactly. Okay. So John chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1 and go to verse 8. <clears throat> Remember, stop me if you see anything different. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. What's that? Six days before the Passover. Okay, six days before the Passover. Okay, let's see what happens next. What, now, what happens six days before the Passover? Jesus came to Bethany. Okay. Where Lazarus was, who had been dead, and whom he had raised from the dead. Yeah, that's all different too. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Yeah, it's all different. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Yeah, it's a different. Say that again, sir. That's right. It doesn't say it in Matthew either. And it calls it a sinner in, in, uh, in Luke, right? And then Matthew and Mark just says a woman, I think. Uh, a very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Wow, this is sounding pretty familiar to Luke 7, doesn't it? And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who to betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Yeah, so Judas said this. Is it possible that Judas said it first and the other disciples kind of joined in and agreed with him? Okay. Um, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief and he had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. That's all new too. So Jesus, so he's called a thief now by John. Of course, John didn't know that at the time. This is him speaking it after the, after the case. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Okay, so that's the same. That's the same. So, so what do you think with this this John account in John chapter twelve? You think it's the same thing as Matthew and Mark is talking about? Yeah, I think I think it probably is. There's a chance that on the six days thing might throw you off, but because that says he went to Bethany six days before the Passover, doesn't say he didn't go back to Jerusalem and then come back and then have dinner. Doesn't give a time frame for the dinner itself. A time frame for him coming to Bethany. It doesn't say he remained there. Okay, um, and we see if this is the same account. It doesn't mention whose house they're at this time, does it? But we know he's called Simon the leper and Matthew and Mark, right? Okay. And we know if it is Simon the leper's house, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who were all siblings, must have had some kind of relation to him. We don't know what that relation is, but some kind of closeness, whether it's a good friend or actually relationship biologically. 
there's some kind of relationship there that, that Martha is the one serving supper and Mary is the one uh, anointing Jesus' feet. Now, in verse uh, 4, it says Judas Iscariot. Okay, Now, that word Iscariot comes from two Hebrew words, Ish-Karioth. Okay? Ish-Karioth, which means man of Karioth, which was a city. Okay, turn to your maps in the back. You have a map in the back of your Bible. Just turn to one that, that maybe has uh, Palestine at the time of Jesus or the divided kingdom. Something that shows all of Israel together. Okay, let me know when you're there. Hopefully it'll, it'll do the trick here. Okay, at the bottom of... of the map here, close to the Dead Sea, to the to the west of the Dead Sea, you're going to see Judea, okay, or Judah, and you might see a city named Hebron there. You see Hebron? See it on your on your map there? And then south of Hebron, you might see Arad or Anab, one of those maybe, okay, or you might see uh, Masada. And what what you're going to see is about ten miles south of Hebron. Directly south is where you're going to find Kiriath. That's probably not going to be mentioned, not going to be listed on your map there. About 10 miles south of Hebron, if you see Arad or Anab on your map, it's going to be in between those two. So somewhere around there, that's where Kiriath is. Okay? So Judas, that's where he's from. He's a man of Kiriath. And what this means is he's the only disciple Jesus had, only one of the 12 apostles who's not from Galilee. The only one. That's just a small side fact there. But one thing I want to point out here in verse 4 is he's called Simon's son. Now, why would he mention, I mean, every time they mention Judas Scary, they don't mention his father, Simon. But they're mentioning him here. Now, what was the name of the man's house in Matthew and Mark? Mm-hmm. Now, he's called Simon a leper, and that's probably because he was healed by Jesus. Okay, I propose that to you. doesn't say that in text, but that's what I'm going to propose to you. Because if he was still a leper, he'd be unclean. They couldn't eat with him. They wouldn't be in the same house with him. He'd be banished from the city. Okay? Until he was declared clean. So, I'm going to suppose to you that, this is all speculation on my part, okay, that this Simon the leper was Judas Iscariot's father. And that one of the ways he became involved in Jesus' ministry is that his father got healed by Jesus. All speculation on my point, but that's somewhat of a conclusion I've come to. Okay, so we see these different things. Uh, so I think that John chapter 12 is talking about the same thing that Matthew and Mark is talking about here. We just see added details. So let's go back to Matthew, and I'm going to combine these other two, Mark and, and John's account with it, and I'm going to read it to you again. And when Jesus was in Bethany, two days before the Passover, at the house of Simon a leper, who I'm proposing is Judas's father, who has been healed. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were also there. And Mary came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, which is worth 300 denarii. And she poured it on his head, as he sat at the table. And then she poured it on his feet and cleaned her fe- his feet with her hair. But when Judas saw this, he was pretty upset. And the other disciples, some of the other disciples with him, saying, why this waste? For this oil could have been sold for a 300 denarii and given to the poor. But Judas, 
not really caring about the poor, caring only for his own lust and his own greed, was saying this because he was a thief. And when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For he would be dying soon. The poor aren't going to die soon. He's going to die soon. For I'm pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Now, you don't prepare someone for burial months or years beforehand. Maybe the same day or the day before or a couple days before. So this, you know, if she's really, if that's her intention, that she's doing it for his burial, she must have known something. Maybe she was actually paying attention. Because a lot of Jesus' disciples, even when he was crucified, they were so distraught and so sorrowful, didn't understand what had happened. And who were the first people to his tomb? The women were. So maybe they were understanding something that his disciples weren't understanding. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And isn't that true? Matthew, Mark, and John all record her story. So anywhere these gospels are, her story is there to be told. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And you see what his, his motivation is here. What is his desire? And we can go right back to John chapter 12, verse 6. He was a thief. He was greedy. He was hungry for money. And they counted up to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now, if we go to Luke chapter 22 and verse 6 for a second, which talks about this little scenario of Judas talking to the Sanhedrin here. Luke chapter 22 and verse 6. After he had... uh, He says, so he promised... Judas promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So we still have that same trickery being done here. Now it's not after the Passover. It's any time you can, as long as there's not lots of people around. So he's still trying to do it in a tricky fashion. But here we have, friends, two, two different, completely opposite parallels to what is going on here. We have one who's willing to take a flask of oil worth $19,200. She probably saved 10 years to buy. And she was willing to break the flask and pour it on Jesus' head, pour it on his feet, and wipe his feet with their hair. And if you go to Luke 7, another woman was willing to wipe his feet with her hair and her tears, and then pour all on his feet. We have her willing to sacrifice it all for Jesus, no matter what it cost her. And then we have this man selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's really the, that's really the only two options you have. You, you can give Jesus all and say, here it is, Lord, or you can say, you don't get any of it. You can give him all or you can say, you're not going to have any of it. I want you to think this morning of, of your most prized, your most expensive possession on earth. And I don't mean people. I mean possession, material possession. Would you be willing to break... I mean, I'm not saying you should do this, but would you be willing to break that and sacrifice it for Jesus? It'll show you a little about your heart to think about that. Because Matthew 6 says you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other, or despise the one and love the other. 
Okay, You can't serve both God and riches. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that woman, we know where her heart was. This thing that was so expensive, she broke it for the sake of Jesus and for his burial. And then we have Judas, who's willing to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He, we saw the value he had. He put upon Jesus. We saw the value he put upon Jesus. How much do you value Jesus? Do you put more value on him than 30 pieces of silver? Is he worth $19,200 to you? Is he worth your life? Which what it could ultimately cost us. So as we as we as you go through the scriptures, and you see these different scenarios where um, the same story seems to be being told in different ways, different accounts. Oftentimes, what you'll hear from a skeptic, from a mocker, is, "Oh, there's contradictions in the scriptures." But you see how easy it is to harmonize the scripture if you actually read it, the language is there, and see what it actually says. And so hopefully that'll help you in your own study time. Okay, uh, questions, objections, or things anyone wants to add? Well, John. Yeah, the, your supposition that Simon's house, Simon's leopards, uh, would be Jesus' uh, father. Mm-hmm. And you look back at the map, Well, I didn't say that he would live there. I said that's where they're from. Okay. See, Kiriath is was actually uh, one of the offspring, it was the direct offspring or grandson of Judah. And so, when land was given, given to them, that was the, that's why that's named that. That was given to him. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to stay living there, though. Yeah. I understand what you're saying, though. Yeah. With Simon Leper. Yes. Yes. Right. I understand you're trying to say that they're in Bethany, and that's where Simon Leper's house is, and yeah. But I'm I'm just I'm using the logic of trying to figure out why all of a sudden, and and John, uh, are they going to say Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon? So, like I said, just speculation at that point. Uh, I think it's a good deduction from what we're reading. Bethany is probably a couple miles out of Jerusalem. Right. Yes, Bill Tracy. I would say that also when you look at um, Luke 22, mm-hmm. it talks about the betrayal of uh, Judas. Right. Uh, talking about the money that he was going to do it for. Mm-hmm. And you line that up with Matthew, it really shows that Luke 21 is talking about the exact same account that Matthew 24 is talking about. So it really helps to line that up. Yes, in Zechariah. 
Yeah, it's a parallel fulfillment. It's a parallel prophecy. It's not to say it's any old prophecy. If if it hadn't happened the way it did, we would have never known there needed to be a fulfillment of it. It's one of those things that is fulfilled. Had a fulfillment back in that time. It's in Zechariah 11. And uh, interesting to read that whole thing there. But uh, yeah, verse 12. If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely place they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw it, I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And I believe that's uh, who the field was bought from. Potter's field. So you see another fulfillment of prophecy there. But it's a parallel fulfillment now. You know, that that's not that's obviously not directly talking about Jesus there in Zechariah eleven. <clears throat> But uh, it's a parallel fulfillment. Yeah, that I think it's that same field. Yeah, that's what it was. He hung himself, and then his his uh, stomach his stomach burst forth, and they called it the field of blood. They called it. I think it was adelkama is the Aramaic word for that. Yeah, another thing that I had read in my study of this is that uh, the amount of oil she used and the way she did it is not with her hair, so to speak, but pouring on the head, pouring on the feet, is something that's that's uh, done with a royal burial. And so I wasn't able to substantiate that from the scriptures, but that's that's what I have heard. So which would make sense if she considered him the king. And uh, keep in mind with the situation with Jesus dying and her doing this for his burial two days beforehand. Uh, she had just gone through this, this situation with Lazarus, her, her her brother, and how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And she rose Lazarus from the dead. And now her husband, her brother's life was in danger. They wanted to kill her brother now because people were turning to Christ in faith because he had risen Lazarus from the dead. But isn't, it, isn't it weird how the ungodly think sometimes? I mean, this guy named Jesus... They knew he was doing these miracles on his mother. They knew he was from God. Do they really think they can keep him dead? I mean, think about what's going through their mind. And Lazarus, he was risen from the grave. I mean, if God, if, if you killed him again, you think God couldn't raise him again? But they're plotting to put him to death because people were, were becoming Christians or becoming believers in Jesus because of him and because of what happened. And you can read more about that in John 12. Suddenly in the resurrection. And they don't believe in resurrection. Right. I mean, they must have just denied everything that, that happened. Right. They must have denied everything that they've seen and known. They just 
totally shut down their mind and just said, oh, I don't believe it. Anymore. Right. Right. Amen. Okay, anybody else? Do you think uh, uh, maybe the uh, head and feet washing would have any kind of a connection with the, uh, the feet washing that Jesus did for the disciples? And then I think Peter said not to do it. And then whenever he told him the reason why he was doing it, he said, wash my feet and my head also. Yeah. I think there might be some connection there. Well, I mean, generally in their, their attire, some of the only parts that are sticking out are your head and your, your feet. And I, I think he wanted his. I think he said something about wash my whole body if I have to. And he said only your feet need to be cleansed. That's what he said to him. So I don't know if that had anything to do with with this. It's an interesting observation. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anybody else?